Good afternoon. Good to see so many of you today. If you have your Bibles, please open it up to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 40. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of John. And in today's passage from John chapter 8, verses 31 through 40, uh, we come across some of the most famous verses about freedom uh, in the New Testament. So John chapter 8, verse 32, which says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And John chapter 8, verse 36, So if the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. Uh, yet the interesting part of who these verses are addressed to are those who had believed him, according to verse 31 of our passage. So, why did Jesus have to tell believers that they are free. Well, the situation was, as Jesus continued to perform his great works and unfold the words of Scripture, the crowds continued to gather by the thousands, even as opposition continued to build up among the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, who were threatened by Jesus, and they were seeking to kill him all the more. But nevertheless, more and more, the Jews, it says, believed him. They believed what he was saying. They believed him to be the Messiah. They believed him and associated themselves with his followers. Yet, we learn from our passage that what they believed, what they believed was not genuine. What they knew of Jesus was not enough to be considered true faith. What they believed was not enough to mark them as true disciples. Well, 2,000 years of church history hasn't changed the reality that nominal or false believers still exist today. Nominal Christians who claim to be Christians in name only, yet their lives are far from what the Bible describes as disciples. Dr. James Montgomery Boyce says all across on any given Sunday, thousands of sermons will be preached to those who are Christians to urge them to live like Christians. And many thousands more will be preached to those who are not Christians to urge them to believe in Jesus. But, it's doubtful, many sermons will be preached to those who think they are Christians, but those who nevertheless has never come to the point of accepting the Lord Jesus Christ personally as their Savior. People who are neither hostile to Christianity, they believe the doctrines, or so they say. It's just that they have never committed themselves to Jesus Christ and are not really His. They believe, but they are not his disciples. They don't deny Christ, but they neither follow him. In our passage today, as Jesus continues to tell the Jews about his identity and his mission, he clarifies for his hearers and to us, who are the true disciples versus the false, who think they are free, yet in reality they are slaves. So from John chapter 8, verses 31 through 40, I want to share with you four marks, four marks, of true disciples, here's the outline so you know where we're going. True disciples, number one, are freed from deception, from verses 31 through 32. Point number two, freed from sin, verses 33 through 36. Point number three, love God's word. True disciples love God's word, verses 37 through 38. And finally, point number four, true disciples do God's work, verses 39 through 40. True disciples are freed from deception, freed from sin, love God's word, and do God's work. Amen? Amen. I pray that as we meditate on these words, the Spirit of God will examine your hearts and my heart.
to test whether we are truly in the faith, as according to 2 Corinthians 13.5. And I pray that we will examine our ways and test them and return to the Lord, as according to Lamentations 3.40. I pray that if there is anyone who are here who are not true believers, that through the words of Jesus preached today, that God would grant you true faith and true repentance, that you would follow him truly. So without further ado, look with me to John chapter 8, verses 31 through 40, and follow along with me as I read. And please keep your Bibles open throughout the entire duration of the message so that you know that my words are not man's words, but God's words. For those of you who are new to the Bible, our passage should be found around page 895, and big numbers are the chapter numbers, and the small numbers are the verse numbers. So John chapter 8, verses 31 through 40 which says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Who is a true disciple? Point number one, those who are freed from deception, according to verses 31 through 33. Look with me to those verses one more time. Verses 31 through 33, it says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone, how is it that you say you will become free? Verse 31 is referring to the many who believed in him in the previous passage in verse 30. Jesus addresses those who had believed him and teaches them what true faith is, what a true disciple is. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Again, by these words, Jesus was acknowledging and for also us to examine in our own hearts of the reality that there are those who claim to believe, yet are false disciples. Jesus was helping his hearers know what a true disciple versus a false one is. He is challenging those who thought they believed what true belief was. And Jesus says the first step of a true disciple is one who abide in his word. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake about it. The first step, the first proof of Jesus' true disciple is a man or a woman who abide in the word of God. Amen? Christians are word people. Every single Christian's faith came about by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. There's not a single Christian here or all over the world throughout the generations who became a Christian by some mystical experience apart from the word of God. Our dead souls came alive by hearing the words of Christ. Amen? Amen. Thank you for coming to hear God's word this afternoon. And I don't want us to miss the opportunity here to emphasize the point that Christians are a people who regularly submit themselves under the word of God. That's why the gathering of God's people is essential 
not optional, and can I add, not virtual. Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Those verses hit every tendency of the false believer, doesn't it? False believers do not hold fast to the confession of hope. They don't know what they believe. False believers do not consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. They don't disciple one another. They don't help others follow Jesus. False believers don't prioritize the gathering. They have every excuse in the world to not gather, don't they? Busyness, vacation, family trips, work inconvenience, virtual services are available. Why should we gather? Sorry, I'm going hard on that, but I'm just trying to make a point. It's really hard to stir up one another to love and good works when you have service online, though, isn't it? It's really hard to encourage one another all the more when you are not present, right? But there's also the other side. There are those who gather on Sunday out of habit. To them, religion is just checking off the box of to-do. It makes them feel better, like a moral duty. They're checking it off. But true discipleship, true discipling, a true disciple is being present for God and being present for others. So a word to our visitors, if you intend to join our church Don't just leave after service. Get to know us. Talk to us. We want to be a church that is present for God and for one another. That's why our corporate gatherings are designed. That is me and God alone time. Our music is not designed for you to have your own praise concert. We minimize the instrumentation. We don't turn down the lights except that one's broken. (laughs) We emphasize congregational singing. We want to hear your voices. So that as according to scripture, we can sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. Our prayers, our singing, and our sermons are saturated, Lord willing, with the words of God. We want to abide in God's word when we are together. And we want to abide in God's word through our daily devotional Bible readings and through our regular and intentional discipling. True disciples abide in God's word. A few chapters after in John 15, verses 4 through 7, Jesus says it more explicitly, doesn't he? Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. I love how J.C. Ryle summarizes it. Steady continuance is the only real and safe proof of discipleship. No perseverance, no grace, no continuance in the word, no real faith and conversion. If we continue in the word, our lives will show it. Close quote. And I'll add, the opposite is true. If we do not abide in the word, our lives will show it. It's obvious. True Christians understand this not as legalism, but an acknowledgement of our humble and lowly and needy state, that we need God's word daily and regularly, as we need food and water daily and regularly to survive. Everyone can get excited about something initially. Some people can get excited about God's word even, but will they persevere in it? To abide in the word is a sure mark of true discipleship. 
Then in verse 32, we learn why abiding in God's word is so imperative, so crucial, so essential in being Jesus' disciple, which is the emphasis of this point, of these verses. Verse 32 says, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Last Sunday, we had a visitor who claimed himself not as a Christian, but as a seeker of truth. I told him, you came to the right place. Because in the word, in the word of God, you will find truth. Brothers and sisters, thousands of years of human history has not figured out what truth is. In our day, absolute truth is shunned. This society advocates for relative truth. Whatever one thinks is truth, that's your truth. Read the pages of the most intellectual minds of human history, and there is not one who claims to know what truth is. Galileo says, all truths are easy to understand once they are discovered. The point is to discover them. Nietzsche says, there are no facts, only interpretations. Gandhi says, even if you are a minority of one, truth is the truth. Buddha said, three things cannot be long hidden, the sun, the moon, and the truth. Every single human sought for truth, but no one knew the truth until one came and claimed, as Jesus says, I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. If anyone else came here seeking for truth, search no further. Ponder no longer. If you abide in my word, you will know the truth. So know Jesus and know the truth today. Why should you know Jesus? Why should you surrender to Jesus right here today? Because knowing him, knowing truth, will set you free. Let me say that again. Knowing Jesus will set you free. Hallelujah. Friend, whatever truth you seek, the highest intellect, the most spiritual of religions, the satisfaction of your own hearts, your own happiness, are all slave masters. They all deceive us. They don't set you free. You may have heard the famous line from the movie, The Usual Suspects. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And the Bible is telling us a truth that no one has ever told no religion even dared to declare there is only one way to righteousness. There is only one way to God, to peace, to heaven, to eternity, and his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. True disciples are freed from deception. True disciples know the truth, know Jesus, because they abide, they dwell, they remain in his word. Amen? That's point number one. Point number two, what is a true disciple? Point number two, true disciples are freed from sin. Freed from sin, verses 33 to 36. Look with me to those verses. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. In these verses, Jesus proves this point of the utter deception the Jews were under. Look at verse 33 again. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, I don't know if these people that Jesus was talking to were particularly ignorant of their own history, but again, it's consistent with the previous passages of how they also didn't know of their own Messiah's origins. What I mean is, how could they argue? We are offspring of Abraham and claim they've never been enslaved by anyone. Hello? 
Their own history claimed otherwise. Exodus, their historical book, is dedicated to telling the story of God's great deliverance from their bondage of the Egyptians. Much of the Tanakh, the Hebrew Old Testament Bible, is centered around that very story. Furthermore, not only that, in most more recent of their history, they were under Babylonian captivity, exiled from their own land for nearly 70 years. And these people who are supposed to be fully knowledgeable of their own scriptures, I mean, they were religious people, weren't they? Their entire culture and societal structures were built on their religious history. And Jesus continues to prove the point that these people did not know their words, their own Bibles. That what they treasured was not God of the scriptures, but rather their own man-made religion. At that, Jesus, as usual, gets directly to the point, doesn't he? He addresses the far greater slavery, which was far more pertinent to them. Verse 34 and on, it says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus was telling them, you say and you think you are free, but you are actually slaves. You think you are sons of Abraham, but you are actually servants of Satan. Now here is an important lesson for not only the Jews who are before Jesus that day. Here is a word of truth for examination of our own hearts this afternoon. The word remain in verse 35 is the same Greek word, meno, used for abide in verse 31. Because the alternative to not abiding in the word is to abide in sin. Can I get a witness? If you're not abiding in the word, you're abiding in something else, in sin. There is not a single person in the world who can say they can master their own sin apart from Christ. That's why a few years ago, uh, the Lay's potato chip commercial and slogan, Bet You Can't Eat Just One, resonated so much with so many people because it's true. It's quite hard, I don't know if you ever tried, to just eat one potato chip. Try it this afternoon. When you open a bag, and before you know it, you've somehow eaten the whole bag, or at least half of it before you came to your senses. Now, you may think arrogantly, yeah, I can definitely eat just one or zero potato chip because I hate potato chips. I have strong willpower. You know, I'm better than those who eat potato chips. Oh, my goodness, right? Well, how about ramen noodles? Have you ever said to yourself, I'm going to just have one or two bites of ramen before you notice that you ate the whole pot? It's gone. Maybe your thing is bubble tea. Maybe your thing is video games. Maybe it's Netflix. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's self-loathing. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's money. Whatever it is for you. The fact of the matter is the devil knows exactly what your weaknesses are. That's why the scripture confronts us that apart from Jesus, we are slaves to Satan. In fact, the recent studies, the Netflix hit Social Dilemma, showed us that finding our weakness and what tempts us are not that hard to find out. That we, on our own, we by ourselves are our own slave masters. Not even humans, not even the enemy, but algorithms know exactly what your heart wants, what you search What would pique your interest? What would tempt you to purchase? What would tempt you to return over and over and over again to that site? That's why those darn social media algorithms hit you with the same ads over and over and over again until you buy it and tempts you with shoes and clothing and things that you want. You're just randomly scrolling through social media and do you ever find yourself discovering shoes 
or clothes or whatever you want that seems to fit your taste exactly. Oh my goodness, where did that come from? Right? Okay, maybe it's just me. I don't know. Brothers and sisters, friends and visitors, we are not as smart as we think. We are not that difficult to unravel as we we think. Scripture says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Do you acknowledge this this afternoon? Look at verse 35 again. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Jesus is telling them and is telling us the basis upon which one may be freed from sin's death's grip. Because let me make it clear that once sin entered into human history in Genesis chapter 3, there was no way out. We were locked outside of the house and we do not have a key. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. Ephesians 2.1 says, We were dead in our trespasses and sins. This is a reality. No person, not a single person in this entire universe can escape. No man could conquer it. But you see the difference between the slave and the son is who your father is. And Jesus says explicitly to them in verse 44, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Brothers and sisters, don't get caught up right now. If your conscience is pricking at you, even as a believer, if you are currently struggling with sin, let me tell you, those are of the devil. Right? Every single one of us struggle with sin, but here's, here's the point. Right? The difference is those who are of the devil don't fight sin. They are dead in their sin. They continue in their sin without true repentance ever. They love their sin. They do nothing to position themselves against Satan's attacks. They don't keep themselves accountable with other members. They don't abide in God's word. That's the difference. So Christian, if you are struggling in sin, struggle on. Struggle on. Fight the good fight of faith. Cling to the promises of Scripture that is in Christ. You are a saint and not a sinner. That you are a son and not a slave. Amen? Continue to cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, which is good for us day in and day out. Continue to proclaim the gospel to yourself and to others, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The truth that God, who is holy and righteous, unlike any other, created us in love, in his image. That we would know and enjoy his glory, his innumerable blessings. Unity with him, uninhibited access to the Father, Son, and Spirit. But God created us to need him, to depend on him, not to be sufficient and independent on our own. That's why it says in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. So when Satan guised himself as the serpent, tempted man in our weakness, you will be like God. We took the bait, didn't we? We distrusted God's word. We desired to be our own gods. And that's what humanity has been doing and thinking still today. We don't acknowledge God as God. We don't believe in his word. We rebel against God with our unbelief and direct disobedience. And as a result, we were separated from God, dead in our sins, helpless and incapable to free ourselves from the bondage of sin, Satan, and death's grip. But God, I have good news for you. 
had a plan from the very beginning to adopt us as sons and daughters, to know a love that is so vast and so deep and so wide and so undeserving. He sent his only son, Jesus, who was truly God and truly man, to live the substitute life and die the substitute death, so that in our place he stood condemned at the cross for our sins where Jesus would satisfy the full wrath of God, the punishment of our sins by giving himself as the perfect sacrifice. He paid completely the debt that we would have paid in eternal hell. But Jesus didn't remain dead, did he? He defeated sin. He conquered death. He crushed Satan's head. God raised him from death on the third day that anyone and everyone who would call on him would die with him in Jesus' death through repentance, which is acknowledging and turning from our sin and our need of him. And we would rise again with Christ in newness of life. And in this new life, what that would mean would mean that we would no longer be slaves to sin and Satan and death but that we would be adopted as sons of the Most High God, the most glorious Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. And this new life will persevere us onto eternal life, where we would be again one with him forevermore. Brothers and sisters, Jesus came and died and rose again and ascended into heaven and is reigning today as the King of kings and Lord of lords, as Hebrews 2, 8 through 10 says it this way, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through his suffering. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus, true disciples have been freed from sin once and for all. Hallelujah. Because we have been adopted as sons by the Son into his house forever. That's why if the Son sets you free, you will be. You are free indeed. Friend, if you are here and you are not a Christian, we welcome you. We thank you so much. We're so glad that you are here. But if you are here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, can I ask you? If you really know, do you really know that you are free? Do you know the freedom that is available in Jesus to free you from deception and the slavery of sin? I want to encourage you, repent of your sins today. Believe that Jesus died and rose again for you this very moment. And trust him with your whole life from this day forth. If you want to know more about how to follow Jesus, at the close of service, I'll be standing at the back door. Jacob will be standing right here. Talk to us. Don't leave this place without talking to someone without telling us who you are so we can pray for you and why you came. Brothers and sisters, can I remind you? You are not slaves to your sins. You are not slaves to your past. You are not slaves to men. You are not slaves to your own works. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are a child of the living God. Which leads me to my third point. True disciples experience the blessing of sonship or adoption these ways. Point number three, true disciples love God's word. True disciples love God's word from verses 37 through 38. Now I want to make a distinction real quick of the point. And the first point of abiding God's word, setting us free from deception and sin, the first two points are what we are freed from, and the last two points are what we are freed to. So look at verse 37, 38. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, Yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. 
So what Jesus is saying is, you claim that you are the offspring of Abraham. You say you share the promised blessed heritage of my people, yet you seek to kill me. Why? Why is that the case? Jesus says, because my word finds no place in you. Jesus says, you don't know my word. You don't love my word. You don't love the word. Brothers and sisters, do you remember when the Bible once didn't make sense to you? But when you understood the gospel and owned your faith by God's grace when you were converted, how sweet the word of God became to you? I remember when I was genuinely converted after my second year in college. Whoever was preaching on Sunday, even if it was a bad sermon, as long as he was preaching faithfully, it would be like the sweetest words I have ever heard. I would voraciously read through the Bible like it was Waterloo sparkling water quenching my soul, like a fresh cup of pour-over coffee when I was restless and weary, invigorating my body. And as I abided in the Word through the years, as I continually depend on God's Word, once in a while, the Lord would send something like a God bomb where He illuminates a certain verse or a passage and grabs hold of my heart and my mind and my soul. And He lifts me up through His Word and you could just coast on that for weeks. Uh, that passage, uh, most recently for me, has been Psalm 90, uh, the particular passage that I shared at the women's retreat, particularly verses 14 through 15 of Psalm 90. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days you have afflicted us, and for as many years we have seen evil. In my anxiety, satisfy me, Lord. In my insecurities, satisfy me, Lord. In my shortcomings and my failures, satisfy me, Lord. In my lack and my wants, satisfy us, Lord. In our fragile church planting efforts, satisfy us, Lord. In the pandemic, make us glad, Lord. In the, in the busyness of life, make us glad, Lord. In our loneliness, make us glad, Lord. And many days as you afflict us, satisfy us. Our sorrows and sufferings, are not without purpose, brothers and sisters. So we pray, make us glad, Lord. Not just me, but my wife. Not just me, but all of you, brothers and sisters in Christ, my fellow church members. May they taste your grace. May they know your love. May they treasure your word. Only you, Lord, make us glad. Hallelujah. That's been my prayer. That's been such a feast for me, clinging on to the words of Psalm 90, verses 14 through 15. I bet you if I asked you to raise your hands and share, many of you will have similar verses that has been encouraging to you as the people of God who abide in the word of God, who love the word of God. Jesus was saying to the Jews, the father you claim is not your father, not my father. You believe in the wrong father. That's verse 38. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Jesus was saying, you are not a son of the God Most High, you are a slave. True disciples love God's word. True disciples welcomes God's word. True disciples listens and lives out God's words. Fourth and finally, true disciples do God's work. Verses 39 through 40. Look at those verses. They said, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, this is not what Abraham did. Again, Jesus emphasizes the point. Abraham is not your father. Because if you were, you would be doing Abraham's works. Well, 
What does Jesus mean that they should be doing Abraham's works? Well, the author of Galatians helps us to understand what Jesus means in Galatians 3, 6 through 9, which says this. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that you and me by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of the faith are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. So do you understand this amazing passage in Galatians 3? Before the law of God was established through Moses, Abraham was shown, given faith from God. The gospel from God. Romans 4.18 says it this way, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Brothers and sisters, can I remind you again, salvation is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no salvation apart from him. You can't share in the blessings of Abraham, the blessings of God, apart from faith in Christ, faith in Christ alone. This is why the marks of true disciples of Christ is to continue in the work of faith, namely to go make disciples of all nations through the proclamation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Juneteenth marks the day when federal troops arrived in Galveston, Texas in 1865 to take control of the state and to ensure that all enslaved African Americans were freed. But you see, the complexity of this historical date of the story was that the enslaved people of Texas were already free, according to the law, since two and a half years before, starting in January 1st of 1863, when Abraham Lincoln signed into law the Emancipation Proclamation, which was an executive order that declared the legal status of more than 3.5 million enslaved African Americans in the Confederate States from enslaved to free. However, because of the ongoing national debate over the institution of slavery, the news of the proclamation did not reach former slaves in the South. And hundreds of thousands of freed men continued to live under the evil, oppressive shackles of slavery and their masters. They were free, but they still lived as slaves because the news of freedom had not yet reached them. In Acts 18.10, God says through Paul, I have many in this city who are my people. Brothers and sisters, there are many people in Rockville and southern Montgomery County who are God's people, who are sons and daughters of Jesus, who are still living in bondage because they have not yet heard the good news of their freedom. May we, members of New Covenant Baptist Church, proclaim Christ's promises boldly. May we never lose our priority. May we never cower from this task. May we be reminded, true disciples, you and me, are freed from deception into truth, freed from sin, that we are a people of God's word who love God's word, freed to do God's work. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you say in your word, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed freed from deception, freed from sin, hallelujah, free to love your word, free to do your work. May we be a church that boldly, boldly, boldly declare your promises, declare your truths to all who we meet for the advancement of your kingdom, for your glory, and for the building up of your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.